Welcome to Live on Purpose Radio with Dr. Paul Jenkins, where you will hear inspiring stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Feed your mind with a regular dose of positive energy and show up for your life every day on purpose. Living on purpose means that you have a purpose and you do it intentionally. And now, here's your host, Dr. Paul. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, a shrink who expands your life with another episode of Live on Purpose Radio. Joining me today is Dr. Gleb Sipurski, who is a behavioral scientist. This guy has put together some interesting theories about how you should never really go with your gut. And in doing that, you can avoid some of the disasters that happen when you do. Welcome to the show, Dr. Gleb. I'm sure happy to have you with me today. Thanks so much, Paul. It's a pleasure to be on. Really appreciate you having me on. So you've learned some things about human behavior and decision-making. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that that's a lot of what's going into uh, the impetus for this book. Could you first share with our listeners a little bit more about you, where you're mm-hmm. coming from, and why are we talking about this particular thing? Sure, Dr. Paul. So where I'm coming from is that I've always been fascinated with how people make decisions ever since I was a kid, partially because my parents made some bad decisions. And for example, my dad hit some money from my mom when he was a real estate agent, so he had a variable income. He hid some money from my mom, and after she discovered it, a couple of years later, they had a big blowout fight. It was a huge conflict, and I was really (laughs) kind of wondering why they made he made that decision and uh-huh. why you know there were other conflicts obviously they separated for a while actually and so it was kind of traumatic for me and that spurred my interest in this topic they got back together but they kind of never trusted him she never trusted him again fully so that was a challenging of moment for me as a kid then when i was growing up i was i was born in 81 and so I came of age in 1999. I was 18. You remember party like it's 1999. Uh-huh. I remember it. And all the dot coms were party booming. You know, Webvan, Pets.com, they were really booming. But then when my second coming of age of 21, 2002, they all went bust. And that was really bad. <laughs> you know, seeing a lot of people who are supposedly smart, you know, genius people losing so much money, billions and billions of dollars, just going down the trash, going down the, the, the drain. That was upsetting, and especially people in WorldCom, Enron, Tyco, making really bad decisions to hide their losses in the dot-com through fraudulent accounting matters. So that led to a number of scandals, and that was really bad. So that's kind of what drove me to study human behavior in economic decision-making and how we can avoid these disastrous decisions and make much better ones. The title of our conversation here today, Gleb, is Never Go With Your Gut. That's also the title of your book. And that's getting some traction because it, it's a little counterintuitive. Mm. You'd think, well, just go with your gut and you're going to be fine. But there's some inherent problems with that that you've identified as you've studied some of these examples that you've mm-hmm. shared with us, some of your personal experience, there's some problems with just going with our gut, so to yes. speak. Can you help us out with that today a little bit? Tell us 
tell us what that means, first of all, to go with mm-hmm. your gut. And then let's get into why that can be problematic. Sure. So the big problem with going with our gut is that our gut is not evolved for the current business environment. Neither our family environment with my dad and my mom, neither large businesses like Enron World, Common Tyco, or dot-coms, or startup, or entrepreneurship. Our gut is not evolved for that. Our gut is evolved for the savanna environment, when we're hunters and foragers. That's what our gut is evolved for. That's what our instincts are evolved for. When people say go with your gut, that means the same thing. Go with your instincts, be authentic, trust your intuitions. But our intuitions are not to be trusted for the current business environment. They would be great for the savannah environment when we lived in small tribes of 50 to a maximum 150 people. So we have a very strong tribal impulse. That means we like people who look like us, think like us, do things the way we do, and don't like people who don't do those things. That's one. Second aspect of tribal instincts, we want to climb the social hierarchy in our tribes. So if you look at why WorldCom and Tyco and all those Enron happened, it's because the leaders of those companies couldn't tolerate falling from the social hierarchy. They knew that their decisions would lead to really terrible consequences in a year or two, but they just tried to put off in their minds those consequences when they had long jail sentences by using fraudulent accounting because they just couldn't stand that idea. I mean, a number of people, high leaders, committed suicide because they ended their lifestyles And that was pretty terrible. So we see the same thing happening every day in small businesses that just newspapers don't write about it, or mid-sized businesses that's not written about in the newspapers, where people go with their gut, they trust their intuitions, and they make terrible, terrible decisions because they're driven by their egos, the social hierarchy, or they're driven by tribalism, or they're driven by saber-toothed tiger responses, which is another aspect of why what we let us survive in the tribal environment but it's really bad right now because we have we don't really have saber-toothed tiger situations in business that threaten our lives. Yeah. We can take you know the five minutes required to actually make a considered wise decision as opposed to jumping away from a saber-toothed tiger. So that is why we should not go with our gut in business environments. So what you're referring to here is something that I teach a lot of my clients and that I think is important to understand about our own brain, our own psychology. When you said that our gut is not evolved to do some of the high-level problem-solving critical thinking that is necessary in making sound business decisions, really our gut is designed to keep us alive. Mm -hmm. Survival. And, and our survival instincts are primarily geared toward fight or flight. Mm-hmm. So putting up your dukes or getting the heck out of there. And really either one is often going to make a business decision or a family decision, as you shared from your own experience, it can make it worse yeah. if we go that direction. I, I, I was intrigued also, Dr. Gleb, with your uh tagline about avoiding disasters mm-hmm. um, we can actually create disasters if we approach a thinking problem with a survival brain and that's what's coming to my mind as you share this mm-hmm. with us don't go with your gut because that's designed for a different purpose 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So let me give you an example of where it served leaders badly. Let's take a look at WeWork, which was a company that you know uh, was worth seventy-five billion or so at the start of twenty nineteen, and in the middle of twenty nineteen, it became worth seven billion. Now, for those of you who know the story behind it, you know that the reason was that Adam Newman, the founder of WeWork, was strongly pressing to take WeWork public, that uh, from private to public. And as investors looked at the WeWork governance structure, they found out that it was actually really bad and unethical in many ways. Adam Newman was engaged in a number of self-dealing where he owned properties leased into WeWork, and he had a governance structure where he controlled a great deal of the property of the shares of the company, where each of his shares was worth 10 volts for, you know, compared to a regular share, and a number of other similar problems. So he was doing the social status hierarchy climbing thing. He wanted to maintain his status at the top of the hierarchy, making really bad decisions around that. And once investors saw that, they said, no, no way, Jose. This company is not worth nearly as much as we thought it would because a lot of the worth of the company came from the confidence in the leadership. And they fled, and that's why eventually the company came to be worth about $7 billion by the mid of 2019. That was a series of pretty bad, bad decision-making situations by the leadership of WeWork that came from the tribal intuitions that we had. And that is a really bad strategy to use when we make decisions. So we need to step back and look, hey, our gut is telling us to do one thing. He was very comfortable with maintaining control over the company at the top of the tribal hierarchy, of the social status hierarchy, but it was a really bad idea when he's doing the IPO and going public. That's an example of where we need to think about, hey, how do our business decisions where we are right now are causing us to make really bad choices that are going to harm us down the road. This tribal hierarchy that you're talking about and and that maybe innate kind of instinctive desire to climb that ladder, get to the top, be in charge. It, it sounds so selfish when we talk about it that way. It's also very exclusive and I I thought about this as you introduced the topic early on where, where you said we want to do business with people who look like us and think Mm -hmm. like us and are more like us. Right. But really we live in a global economy now Mm -hmm. and to think so closed in, in, in a tribal sort of a mindset excludes the gifts and talents and contributions of those who are outside of what we're typically comfortable with Mm -hmm. inside of our own tribe. Do you have some thoughts about that? Oh, yes. Uh, It's very, very, very dangerous to hire people, to get people on your team who look like you, who think like you, who do things like you. So I was working with a manufacturing, small manufacturing company of about 100 people or so in a Midwestern city that I won't name. And when... I came to coach the CEO of the company, I saw that the company had a lot of people who thought like he did, who thought, who had the same perspectives that he did. And we're not talking even about diversity, which is important, but that's a distinct topic which we can talk about later, the way people look, gender, sexuality, and so on. 
but thinking patterns. You know, he was an optimist. He thought that you know things would be great. He was kind of risk blind, and he was bringing other people on his team who were also optimistic, who didn't have, who didn't really give constructive critical feedback, who were enthusiastic about every project, and the company ended up underbidding on a number of projects, which cost it more to produce. So let's say they bid on a project that it would cost two million and it ended up costing the company three million and they actually either very seriously cut their profit margins or ended up actually losing money on the project as a result of it. And this was a systematic problem. And so when I looked at the how he was handling his hiring process, how he was doing things was that he was interviewing people and then people who he clicked with, he would tend to hire. And that's a really, really bad approach because that results in us hiring people who are like us because we tend to be, click with people who are like us. What he needed to do and how we transitioned to doing things was looking for people who are pessimistic to make sure to bring them onto the team so that they would be able to address and control for some of the really problematic tendencies of the current team at the leadership level to be optimistic and risk blind and make really bad investments. So that's an, that's an example of where we're not even talking about diversity in terms of how people look, but how people think. We don't nearly think enough about the diversity in how people think that causes companies, leaderships, teams to make really bad decisions. I, I agree. I think to, to collaborate with people who think just like me means that I'm going to magnify the mistakes that I'm already making. <laughs> And that could lead to, as you point out, disaster from a business standpoint. Folks, this is Dr. Gleb Sipurski, who is talking with us here today at Live on Purpose Radio. As we get back from this break, Dr. Gleb, let's get into some of the practical things that we might be able to do as opposed to always going with our gut. Does that sound good? That sounds great to me. We will be right back. Hey, Live On Purpose family. I know you're a fan of personal development and that's why you're here on the podcast. Something else that I think you would really like is Live On Purpose TV. Come on over to youtube.com forward slash Live On Purpose TV where you will find daily episodes that are all geared toward powering up your personal development program. I'm looking forward to seeing you there. And we're back. Dr. Gleb Sipurski here at Live on Purpose Radio today. And as, as we've gotten into this conversation, Dr. Gleb, I love that you're emphasizing a different kind of diversity that we don't often talk about, and that's diversity of thinking, the, the thought patterns that we have. I remember a coach of mine sharing with me once that if you think of all of your knowledge and give it a score, you know, kind of like an IQ score, I guess, but you give, give yourself that score and let's say that it's a hundred. All right. Cause that's awesome. And you're working with someone else who's probably at an 80. So they're not even as smart as you, but that 80 is different from what mm-hmm. you have. For you to open up your mind to a different way of thinking, just increase the total to 180. (laughs) Or if you know some of the same things, maybe there's 50 that's different and the rest is overlapped. But Mm -hmm. I appreciated that 
image of uh, kind of what you're talking about here. We can mm-hmm. expand our ability, our capability, our intelligence as we open ourselves up to people who are diverse in their thinking. They're not just mm-hmm. like us. I love that suggestion. You've probably got some other practical steps that you mm-hmm. take people through. When you do your coaching, your speaking, your training, where do we start, Dr. Gleb? Help us out here. Sure, happy to, Dr. Paul. The first thing to do always is to gain awareness because if we don't know how we're making mistakes and what our particular personal mistakes are, what our hundred is composed of, how do we know that, how can we find other people whose hundred is different or similar? So we need to first gain awareness. How are we messed up? How are our brains messed up, so to speak? And this is where we get into the topic of cognitive biases. Now, cognitive biases are the dangerous judgment errors, particular patterns of dangerous judgment errors that we all make as human beings because of the evolutionary basis of our psychology, how we evolved, the brain wiring, all of that. Won't go into the details of you know prefrontal cortex and so on. So what you need to do is gain awareness. Now there is, if you go on Wikipedia, you'll find that there's over a hundred cognitive biases, more being discovered every month. So you can take a look at that. My book, Never Go There Got How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions to Avoid Business Disasters, has an assessment in chapter seven. You know, Dr. Paul was talking about an intelligence assessment. This is an assessment of judgment. So judgment assessment. It looks at the 30 most dangerous judgment errors in businesses and helps you assess how often they happen for you and for your team. And that will help you understand how of which ones you're vulnerable to. I'll give you an example. Okay. Planning fallacy, one of the biggest ones. So we tend to have we tend to assume that everything will go according to plan because our gut intuitions feel that way. It feels like the plans that we make will go well because we like ourselves, we are confident about ourselves, and therefore we like our plans. We are, you know, we can do no wrong, right? So this is the, our typical thought patterns about ourselves. So we make plans that actually don't turn out well in reality. You know, there's the famous saying, yeah, there's the famous saying that uh, failing to plan is planning to fail. Really bad saying, very harmful, because we tend to assume way too much that our plans will go perfectly. A much more effective saying for the planning fallacy is failing to plan for problems is planning to fail. Again, failing to plan for problems uh. is planning to fail. So the, what you do with the planning fallacy, you assess how often your plans turn out well or how they often they don't turn out well and how you can address the planning fallacy is you want to plan for problems so look at what kind of problems might occur in your plans what are you not thinking about right now and how can you address these problems in advance rather than have them bite you in the butt you know you don't want that to happen so that's one aspect of things the other one is what kind of opportunities might you not be thinking about and not seizing because you're just going on the path that you thought was going to be the best path. That's another set of problems, you know, if you don't seize opportunities. And you want to reserve some resources of time, money, efforts, social capital to seize advantage of opportunities and address problems that you couldn't anticipate because things happen, things come up. So the broader principle here is to be aware of each of these cognitive biases, how they're damaging you, you know, how often your plans turn out well or not well, 
and how to address each one of them. So the awareness is the first part of it. Awareness is something that I think is so powerful mm-hmm. because until we see our own thinking as a choice or something that we can steer, mm-hmm. it's not. We just roll with whatever we're programmed to do. And as you're talking about these cognitive biases, uh, you mentioned the planning fallacy, for example. And we become so fond of our own plan <laughs> because we like us, we trust us, right? And and it's a fallacy, though, to think that because I planned it, this is how it's going to happen. I don't think you're saying don't plan. Mm-hmm. I th- don't plan for problems. I so you want to make sure to... Plan for problems. We we talk about this in the addiction side of the industry, where we say plan for relapse. Doesn't mm. we're not saying plan to relapse. <laughs> we're saying plan for it because it's going to happen. You said that as if it's an inevitable thing that we're going to run into problems, mm-hmm. and that's a good thing to plan for, so that you have some idea of how you're going to handle it when it happens, not if it happens. Exactly right. And so that's kind of one big approach. You want to be aware of the dangerous judgment errors that tend to harm businesses, careers, personal finance decisions. You want to be aware of them and you want to plan for them and you want to be able to address them in your own activities and your team's activities. Now, there are a set of strategies that you can use to address them more broadly. You know, you can do one by one, like the planning fallacy, and you should especially if you know you tend to be more vulnerable to it and your team, your organization tends to be more vulnerable to it. But you can also have a set of strategies that you can address, use to address both minor decisions, everyday decisions, and major ones. I'll talk about a quick technique first to address minor everyday decisions, just everyday things, you know. You want to be prepared for a meeting with an important business colleague. You want to send an important email to somebody. You are doing a project report. So the things that don't aren't going to make or break your business, but you don't want to screw up. So there's a technique I have that I give out to my clients, this little cheat sheet of five key questions uh-huh. to avoid decision disasters. The first question, what important information did you not yet fully consider? Again, what important information did you not yet fully consider? You want to especially look for information that goes against your preferred choices. Because again, we tend to trust ourselves, like Dr. Paul said, we think we're good and we like our choices. And in order to make better choices, we need to question ourselves. We need to question our choices and try to prove that our preferred choice is wrong. Try to disconfirm it. If you can't prove that it's wrong, that's great. But you want to look for information, evidence that it's wrong in order to be more confident that it's right. So that's the first one. This Second. is an important but, strategy. Can I just contribute to yeah, that? Yeah, please, please, please. The, you mentioned cognitive biases. Um, there's there's a, one of these is called confirmation bias. Yes, and that's why. Mm-hmm. Which is where our mind will tend to look for and recognize and identify and even create evidence <laughs> that we're right. Yeah about our plan, our theory, our belief, whatever it is, and our mind will tend to discount or or shy away from evidence to the contrary. So I'm hearing you say, hey, look at it on purpose. 
mm-hmm. go after the the intention of can I poke holes in my theory? Yes, exactly. Which, You're exactly right. And the confirmation bias is one of the biggest biases, cognitive biases that is addressed by this question. And of course, there are several right. others, but that is a huge one, and that's very important to address. Then the second question is what dangerous judgment errors, cognitive biases, they are not yet addressed. Again, what dangerous judgment errors that are not yet addressed? And that helps you think about them. So if you're making a strategic plan, you might look at the planning fallacy, which we mentioned before. If you're looking at an existing project, you might look at something like the sunken cost fallacy, where we tend to throw good money after bad. In When we invest too much money, too much efforts into a project that we should have cut off a long time ago. A lot of people do this with products. So a lot of small businesses, mid-sized businesses, large businesses tend to invest too many too much money into products that go wrong, that flop, and they don't cut them nearly early enough, or into employees who don't work out. That's another area that you want to be careful about, to think about how much money, resources, you're investing into an employee who doesn't work out. So this is just, there are many dangerous judgment errors, and that question gets you to think about them. Third, what would a trusted and objective advisor suggest you do? So think about a trusted and objective advisor what would they suggest you do? What would Dr. Paul suggest you do? So think about little Dr. Paul Angel on your shoulder. What would he suggest you do in this situation? So take that step back, get that external perspective. And sometimes we kind of know mm. what people would advise us to do. Maybe people have even said it. Yes, And exactly. to, to consider that, you know what? There's a careful balance here too, because I'm a, a big believer in the entrepreneurial spirit and mm-hmm. in and in the innovation that comes as people think differently. And there's a lot of naysayers out there. So I like the way you phrased this one, Gleb, when you said it's it, consider it as a trusted advisor, not mm-hmm. a naysayer, not somebody who's trying to squash your dream, but someone who has your best interest at heart. Mm-hmm. and can see something that maybe you're not seeing. That's more of the spirit of it, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And that you it's important to remember that maybe the trust and objective advisor would disagree with you, and that's okay. You're still right. the one making the choice. Right. There, if you look at the entrepreneurs, consider that half of all small, small businesses, enterprises, fail, startups, they fail within the first five years. And I shudder when I see that happening, especially when entrepreneurs go into an unconsidered, unthoughtful new enterprise. Sometimes their efforts would be much better used if they had waited for three months and refined their plan, refined the product that they tend to launch before springing into action. And that's very smart of them to think about, hey, half of all startups fail, it's likely that 50% of my startup likelihood will fail within the first five years much higher chance that you will fail within 10 years. So maybe I should take a little bit more time and think it through before launching it because I want to be that much smaller group that succeed, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So, sure. yeah, so you don't want to assume that you are much better than everyone else because other smart people start businesses that fail. So we're going into right now from the decision-making stage to the implementation stage of the five questions. Have, how have I considered all the ways this decision could fail? just related to the, to the question we just raised. Again, how have I addressed, considered, and addressed all the ways that this decision could fail? 
This is a very critical question because it can fail in very many ways and you can solve all, a lot of these ways in advance. Again, if you're meeting with a business colleague and you're thinking, well, this meeting is really important, this is someone who I want to propose a new project to, maybe you want to think about it from their shoes. What would be their incentives to engage in the project? And once you think about it from their shoes, which is so untypical for us to think about it from their shoes, you might reframe it in a very different way, or you might offer different incentives to this person to get them on board with your project. So that's a very effective question that you ask. And finally, and don't underestimate this, what new information would cause me to change my mind? Again, what new information would cause me to change my mind? This is very important. We, when we launch into decisions, we tend to not think about changing our minds, revising things. We just go full steam ahead, we're fully committed to it, and it's very hard once you're in the implementation stage to actually change course. So this question gets you to pre-commit to changing course or at least revising, thinking about the decision if new information, certain new information comes up. So for example, we talked about a product launch. If the product turns out to, let's say, not reach 4 million within the first three months, you launch a new product, you say, okay, if it reaches 3 million, I'm sorry, 4 million within the next three months, it's great, we're going forward. If it doesn't, maybe you want to revise things. So that's an example of where you can use that question to place a check on the decision, make sure that it doesn't turn into a disaster by helping yourself and your team, of course, if it's part of a team decision, to revise this, the situation going forward. I can see so many applications for those five questions that you just shared with us. And, and these are the kinds of tools that are available in your book as well. Is that correct? Yes. The book describes the five questions much more. So why they're useful, how they're useful, examples of when to apply them, and of course, other techniques. The five questions are to be applied for everyday decisions. It takes you know, two, three minutes. I just talked them through. It takes two, three minutes for you to look at them, answer them yourself, and go for the decision. And there are longer techniques that you want to apply when you have a more serious situation, a major project, a very serious new product, when you're deciding on you know, really large client, hiring a new C-suite officer, or even the CEO. Those require more in-depth consideration than the five questions. I'm, I'm especially liking what came up with that last question. What would cause me to change my mind? What new information would lead to a change of mind for me? It, it's, it's such a refreshing openness in terms of our thinking. We get far too rigid. Mm. And I love that you've brought your experience and expertise in, in brain science and cognitive theory and decision-making uh, to, to help us really understand a little better how to operate the equipment of our own mind. This has been very enlightening and helpful. Dr. Gleb, how can people find you? What's the best place for them to get your book? Just talk to us a little bit about connecting with you. Sure. The book has been published, traditional publisher, Korea Press. So it's available at physical bookstores everywhere, you know, Barnes & Noble and so on, props to indie bookstores. And of course, at Amazon, Barnes & Noble Online, all the other online bookstores, check it out there. Never go with your gut. How pioneering leaders make the best decisions and avoid business disasters. They can, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Dr. Gleb Tsipurski. So again, 
Gleb, G-L-E-B, Sikorsky, T-S-I-P-U-R-S-K-Y on LinkedIn. Happy to connect. If you want to check out my free resources, articles, blogs, videos, podcasts, and a lot of other resources, training, consulting, coaching, manuals, check out my website, DisasterAvoidanceExperts.com. Again, DisasterAvoidanceExperts.com. And finally, if you have any questions about anything I shared in this podcast, want to discuss it more, email me at gleb, G-L-E-B, at DisasterAvoidanceExperts.com. Again, gleb at DisasterAvoidanceExperts.com. Beautiful. DisasterAvoidanceExperts.com. That's where they're going to find you. Gleb at is how they can contact you directly. And the book is called Never Go With Your Gut. And I don't have the entire subtitle there, but you'll find it if you look up that phrase. Um, Just look for the powerful yellow cover with the black title and you'll find Dr. Gleb's book. Thank you so much for joining me today at Live On Purpose Radio. It's been a pleasure, Dr. Paul, and thank you so much for having me on. Now you've heard it from Dr. Gleb himself. Never go with your gut, but do go and it's your time to go live on purpose.